We're going to be in Second um, Corinthians chapter 12 tonight, and uh, it's going to be a, a kind of a, a, a short sermon, uh, which is unusual. And um, we're, it, Paul is talking about being strong in, in, in weakness. And in verse 10, he's going to say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I, I talked about this just a little bit last week. He's kind of in the midst of a bragging fest. Uh, the, the, the church in Corinth, we, we talked about this last week. I'm sure Tom talked to you about it the week before. Uh, had kind of lost sense of priority. And the uh, people were really, uh, the, you know, they started out, Paul was the leader. He started the church. There was a lot of persecution. Uh, things went well. And then the church kind of started to grow. And, and we know it's one of the most rapid growing churches in the New Testament era. And they oddly had a, a, a strange combination of a lack of love and an overabundance of the miraculous going at the same time. In fact, Paul has to talk to them in, in chapters uh, uh, 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians and say, hey, cool your jets just a little bit. You're making people think you're fanatical idiots here and don't do that. And on the other hand, in chapter 1 of, of, of the first book of Corinthians, he has to say, you stupid idiots, you didn't say that word, but you know. Um, you, you've, 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 you've divided yourselves up into like political parties in the church. Something really is wrong with that. And, and then and there's another place where they're, they're, they're into tolerating horrible sin. There's somebody in their midst that's committing incest. And everybody's sitting back going, hey, this is cool. You know, we're all cool with this. We're fine. And he has to go, you know, remove that sin from your midst. And, and then later on, the guy repents. And in 2 Corinthians, he has to say, the guy repented. Lighten up. Let him back in, you know. And so it's just a lot of stuff, but as, as we get into this passage of three or four chapters here, three chapters in 2 Corinthians, the church is, he's gone, he's in another place now, and, he, and, and the church is beginning to follow after glitzy leaders, you know, uh, the TV evangelist types. And uh, these guys come to town and they're bragging, and one of the things that we read last week is they're bragging that we do what Paul does, but they didn't. And he's going, they never paid the price. They never did the thing. They're not real. Uh, they, they take advantage of you financially. They're after your money. Uh, they dominate you. They want control in your life. And you just follow any idiot that comes down the road and look at me. I'm the real deal. And, 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 and then he's, a, he's saying it in a kind of an embarrassing way. I'm having to play the fool here and brag about myself just so that you'll kind of get back to sensibility. Am I making sense when I say that? And so we catch him in the middle of that, and he says that, uh, he, that he, 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 when he's weak, he's strong. He's going to talk about some very powerful spiritual thing that happened to him, and yet he's going, I don't revel in that. What I revel in is the fact that in my weakness, God still does strong things. And, uh, and, 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 and that's a powerful thing. I talked to you last week about whenever I travel, um, every single time I do it, I, 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 I spend a lot of time... Uh, looking through old photographs, and I go back and I and I try to tell these pastors when I, you know, because when I travel around wherever I go in the world, if there's been any Americans there, what they're what the kind of the American mo is, look at us, we're big, we're prosperous, we're cool, and do what we do. But if you're in some little village where they don't have electricity, you know, we we had uh, uh, Ed Hope, my friend, brought this little girl in from the Philippines that I met when I was down there had a horrible cleft palate, so bad that she had a tooth way up in the back of her mouth. 
And uh, we, 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 Ed went and just got behind this thing and he found some doctors that would operate for free and then Queens Hospital decided they would donate the space for free and, and, and Continental Airlines donated the airplane ticket. Our church raises money, right? And, and, and the whole deal ended up bringing this girl and her mom from the Philippines here, sending them back home, doing the whole surgery, the whole thing. And I don't know how much money we raised, but we were only able to spend $200. Because everybody did everything for free. And uh, that was a really wonderful thing. Well, then we thought, what are we going to do with the money? Because, you know, you guys gave the money for that. We're not going to just go spend it on the church or something. And so we're trying to figure out what we could do to help them in the Philippines. And one of the things we thought was, well, this is when video, like VCRs were a big deal, right? You know, so you could show video in church. So we thought, we'll go buy them some video equipment. Well, then we found out that their church building is made out of woven bamboo. And there's no electricity in the village. And if we had bought them the video, well, what are they going to do with the thing? You know? And so one of the problems that you have is Americans kind of go out and they promote America. And, uh, and, and so we got to kind of go out and go, no, this is about relationships of people and their broken lives getting mended through the power of God through what Jesus did on the cross. Am I making sense? And so... I found out that, that when I go to these places, the pastors always expect you to get up and tell about, you know, show pictures of you guys and show pictures of our building. And, and I actually do. I show pictures of the outside of the building because it's a tent, right? And, um, and so that helps. But I go and I start out by telling about all the problems that I had when I was pastoring 25 people. And I had some other guy that wanted to control the church and control me. And, and, and what a horrible, horrible prayer life I had because I was scared to death out of, you know, what was going on. And so I start with those kind of stories because in the middle of weakness, God went ahead and built something. Am I making sense? And we were talking this morning in our discipleship thing, and uh, we're all reading this book about prayer, and it talks about audacious prayers. And uh, one of the guys there said, you know, to, you know I, I, I never prayed for anything like 700 churches to happen, you know, that's an audacious prayer. Well, I never prayed for that either. I, I, all I ever signed up to do, I thought, I thought I would be the pastor of about 40 people. All I ever signed up to do was move 45 miles from where I lived in the San Fernando Valley in California to the beach and, and be the pastor in a little church that was designed to hold 66 people. That's all I ever thought. And, you know, I'm not the best speaker in the world and all that, but God has done what he has done. And he's done it out of human weakness and godly strength. Am I making sense when I say that? I mean, God's done some pretty fantastic miracles in, the, in, in our midst over the years, and none of us can take credit for anything. You know, I, I wrote this book, Defeating Anxiety, and this is not a commercial. I just want to talk about it. I, um, I, I went through this anxiety thing about 10 years ago. My wife was uh, coming out of cancer and, and uh, just ending up, chemotherapy and radiation and and uh, I had some financial issues the the 2000 stock market thing had done its thing on me real big time and and so I had a lot of issues and so I went through this panic anxiety thing where uh, I, I went I always say three nights it's not it's two nights and three days zero sleep no naps no sleeping at night no nothing and I'd been sleeping poorly for months before that and so it just pushed me over the edge I thought I was losing my mind and uh, I went to the doctor, he gave me some medicine that helped, and, and then he started experimenting, and that didn't help. 
And finally, I went to another doctor who, who helped. And uh, I'm still taking the meds all these years later. And I went to a pastor's conference. Uh, not a conference. It was a group of leaders from our denomination. There were 78 of them there, plus whoever else was running the meeting. And I, I, I went out. I had to go make a videotape for somebody for something. So I went out and did this video interview. And the meeting was still going on. I come back in the meeting, and there's a guy whose book I had read about anxiety, a, a Christian man named Archibald Hart. And um, in that book, he talked about um, the need for medications. And I don't know where you're coming from, but I know there's a lot of Christians that think you're not trusting God if you take meds for things like depression or anxiety or things like that. And uh, I know because I used to be one of them. And people would come to me and and tell me that they were on Prozac or they were on this or that. And, and I'd always tell them, man, you, you need to get your prayer life going here. You, you need to, I mean, you do. And you need to get in the, in the Bible more. And you do. But you also probably need the pills at this point. You know what? Uh, you guys remember Jerry Cook came here and talked one time? Uh, when I was a young, young guy, Jerry got a hold of me. And, and, he, and he said, you know, if, if, if you think it, if you have a headache and you think it's God's will for you to have a headache, and, and because you prayed and the headache didn't go away, then just go ahead and have your headache. But if you think it's God's will for you not to have a headache, then pray and take an aspirin. <laughs> and so I, um, the, I, I came back in this room where all these, these pastors were, and Dr. Hart was up there talking about that it's okay to take medicine if you're going through problems like this. And I, and I kind of made a fool of myself. I do this fairly often. And, and, I, and, I, and I stood up and I said, Dr. Hart, Dr. Hart, right here, this is my pills. And I can quote the paragraph in your book that gave me permission to take these. And I sat down. I go in the bathroom, and I'm doing what you do in the bathroom. You know, the men's room is constructed a little different than the women's room. I'm using one of those pieces of furniture that's a little different than the women's room. And there's a guy standing there next to me doing the same thing. And uh, we're both standing there staring at the wall like you do. And he goes, thank you for what you said. And I go, oh, good, thanks, that's cool. And he goes, no, you don't understand. I, I, I'm taking medication. And I, I thought if the denomination knew I was on medication, they'd fire me. And so I, nobody but my wife knows that I'm taking medications. Thank you for what you said. It was liberating. And that was good. And it, but to me, it was kind of like a little overdramatic. And so I go walking out, and as I walk out, there's a, there's a column. It's at a hotel. There's this big pillar, and there's a guy hiding behind a pillar waiting for me to come out of the bathroom. <laughs> He's lurking. And, and he comes up, and he goes, uh, can I talk to you? And I go, yeah. And, and, and he goes, uh, he goes, thank you for what you said. I go, oh, yeah. I go, this guy just in there told me that, and I told him what he said, that, that nobody knew except his wife. He goes, you don't understand. You don't get it. I go, what? He goes, not even my wife knows that I'm going to the doctor. He's afraid to tell his wife. That day, I got 19. I mean, one guy wrote it on a napkin and passed it down. He wasn't scared for anybody to know about it. And passed this thing down to me, this little note thanking me. I had 19 people out of 78 Christian leaders go, thank you for what you said, because I've been fearful to let people know that I'm using medication. Well, to me, God used something that's a weakness in me. 
And I, I still, I'm a worrier. I mean, my friend Blair will tell you how much I, you know, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a cosmic mix of faith and worry. How's that? That's not new agey or what? I, I mean, ha, ha, half the time I'm trusting God wonderfully and half the time I'm freaking out. And, uh, and so, you know, I go through this stuff. And, but because of what happened that day, I just kind of carried that around with me. And I, I went to Africa last year. And on the trip to Africa, I, I, I just wrote this book. I, mean, I wrote the whole thing on the trip. And it's short. And I put it on Amazon Kindle. Well, the weird thing is, I'm, I'm getting through Facebook. I'm getting like about three a week. People are going, oh, I wrote your book. I read your book. It did this for me. Thank you so much. And a lot of them are, 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 are leaders. A lot of them are not leaders. And so I, I'm, I'm taking it on myself to write back to every one of them. And it's almost like I'm pastoring another congregation. It all came out of weakness. None of it came out of strength. Am I making sense to you? God can use you in the brokenness that is still in your life. God can use you in the weakness that's there that you may feel is, is, is a failure in your life. God can use you. Well, it starts here. First part, we call it what you, what you see is what you get. Verse 1, Paul says, This boasting that he's doing, will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. He's, he's, he's in the boasting mode right here. I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. Now, Jewish people believe that the first heaven in the first century, this was the, their worldview, the first heaven was the blue sky that you see in the daytime. The second heaven, a level up, would be what you see at nighttime. The stars and the planets and the moon and whatever. The third heaven is where God lives. And who knows, maybe they're not too far off. I don't know. But he says he was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. And then he says this, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Uh, was, I, was I physically lifted up and to see these things? Or was it just a spiritual experience? I don't know. Only God knows. Um, in another translation, when he says this about being caught up in the third heaven, he says it this way, I know a man who was caught up. In other words, he's kind of not trying to brag too much that I'm more spiritual than you or whatever, but he's, it happened to him. Verse 3, he says, Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise. And I heard things so astounding that they cannot be addressed, expressed in words, things that no human is allowed to tell. In other words, I had this profound spiritual experience. Now here's a man, we talked about this last week. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Jewish Messiah, changed human history more than any man that ever walked the face of the earth. Very easy to say. I mean, third of the people today in the planet are worshiping the Lord. But the number two in terms of human impact is Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, because he brought the gospel to Europe, and Europe brought the gospel to the world, including the United States, which is still the largest missionary sending operation gone. And, and, and it all passes through this one man. Okay, so here's this guy 
who's of this kind of stature in terms of God using him, telling about a spiritual experience that he had, and then he says, no human words can express it, nor should they. I'm not even going to talk about it, but I had it. This thing happened to me. And he says in verse 5, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I'll boast only about my weakness. I don't go around bragging. It's the only time in the Bible he mentions this. He goes, I don't go around bragging about that. What I want to brag about is my weakness. Verse 6, if I boast, if I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I'd be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. I don't want people to credit me with something that I had really nothing to do with. God did this thing to me, and it was a wonderful experience. I just want people to look at my life, and, and, and what you see is what you get. I want them to see the reality of what's going on in a, in a life that's given away to God, and I don't want to boast about stuff like that. I want to just, if, if I'm going to brag, I'm going to brag about the stuff, you know. We read it last week. He boasted about being shipwrecked three times, about how many times he was whipped and how many times he, you know, he was stoned almost to death once. And, 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 and he goes, I'll boast in those things. I'm not going to boast in stuff like this. Well, he goes on and he says in verse 7, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, keep me from being proud. Uh, in, in, in the Message Bible, which I read a lot of times for my devotions, he, he says, where it talks about this thorn in the flesh, he says, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. It's an interesting thing. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. And he says, it's a messenger from Satan sent to buffet me. And then he says that uh, um, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. In other words, this thing, this bad thing, this thorn in the flesh thing, this handicap thing, was a gift from God. And I don't, I don't understand the theology where you say it's Satan's messenger sent to buffet me at the same time you say it's a gift from God. But that's basically what he's saying. This terrible thing that I don't like is a good thing in the long run because it keeps me in touch with my limitations and I don't get a big head and I don't think that I'm the one doing all this. It keeps me dependent upon God. Am I making sense when I say that? Now, what is your thorn in the flesh? Mine is anxiety. And I look back after I had the blowout, I look back and I realize that it's anxiety has been with me ever since I was a very young person. I, I, I can look back and, and, and think of times where uh, when I was starting out as a pastor, it was tough. We had the First Corinthians problem. We actually had four factions in our church when our church was less than 100 people. And, and, and finally, the way I worked it out was I'll get to, I'm going to make friends with the other three leaders and I'll let them pastor their people and I'll just be their pastor. I'll be their friend. And so, but they didn't even like each other. So I would go and meet with each of them once a week. And, and, and you know what? It worked really well with two of them. And it didn't work at all with the third. And it was constantly, constantly, constantly for about six years. Nothing but pain coming out of that. But I can remember the days that I'd spend my days off singing Christian songs and praying 
while I'm trying to work on my house because I'm so freaked out about what's going on in the church. Anxiety. So what's yours? Is it financial? Is it a relationship that's gone sour? Is it a child that you've raised and you did everything right and then they turned out wrong and, 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 and you can't figure out why? You know, what, what's the thing that beats you up? Because we can look at it, and Paul apparently looks at it two ways. I mean, he goes, this thing's from Satan. On the other hand, he says, but it's a gift from God in that God uses it to keep me in touch with my limitations and to keep me dependent upon the Spirit of the Lord. Am I making sense when I say that? Doesn't explain suffering, this verse. It really doesn't. You have to go other places for that, but here it is. You know, we, we don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. He never says. We do know that one place, I mean, he talks in Galatians, and don't throw the scripture up there because I'm not going to read it. Uh, he talks about the Galatian people wanted to take care of him physically when he was there with them. There's another scripture where he says that you would have, would have gladly given me one of your eyes. So we kind of get the idea that Paul apparently had problems with his vision. There's one place where one of the epistles, uh, he, he apparently dictated it because at the end he says, see with what large letters I sign my own name. So somebody else would have written it and then he would have written his name in very large letters that he could see because of whatever his eye problem was. We don't know. We don't know. All we know is that he had a problem that was like a thorn in his life but he had a perspective on it that said that God is using the weakness to keep me dependent upon the strength that is the Lord. Am I making headway with this? And, and, and so, therefore, the thing that, you know, Joseph said, uh, remember Joseph in the Old Testament? He had these two dreams about his father and his mother and his brothers all bowing down to him. And so his brothers sold him off into slavery into Egypt. And he's a slave, but he gets to be the best slave in the household and then the lady pretends that he tried to rape her and he ends up going to prison and and then he's the guy running the prison and and then you know some things happen and and he ends up kind of running the country like the prime minister of Egypt and and uh, and his brothers come down during a time of recession and famine and and they want to uh, buy grain and they don't recognize this guy as, and, and, and and here's his brothers that, that, that sold him into slavery and here he is and they don't recognize him and he recognizes them, and, and uh, in, in, in the end, uh, they, after the father dies, they're afraid that he's going to kill them. And they come to him begging for their lives, and he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. See, the thorn in our flesh, Satan means it for evil, but God can turn it around and do something good. Romans 8.28 says that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that includes the crappy things that Satan pulls in your life. God will take it and work it for good. Am I making headway? Yes. And so the weakness actually results then in God's strength being made manifest. And it goes on in verse 8. He says three different times, I begged the Lord to take this thing away. So he's not saying if something bad is in your life, be jumping for joy about it. He says three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And he says each time, the Lord said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. 
My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Now, there's an equation going on here. Grace and power are being related to each other. My grace, my power, is grace. Grace is God's power bestowed in your life, right? And it works best in weakness. It works best in weakness. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Another translation, the New King James says it this way. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect. What does it mean made perfect? God's strength's already perfect. What it means is it's put on display in your weakness. God's, what God can do is put on display when you are weak. And, and when it says sufficient, it means it, 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 it's enough to meet the need. God's going to come through. You, you, you may not be rolling in it. But he's going to come through in a way that's sufficient to meet the need. And, and, and then God's strength is going to be shown to be whole and to be complete, to, to be full in your life. And so he says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I can boast about my weaknesses. Because this is where he wants to live. I can boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now he's contrasting himself, remember, with people who are coming in. I am somebody. And he's going, no, no, I, I, I revel in the garbage that I've had to go through. Because as I've gone through it, God's power has been made manifest. And, and, and good things happen. And if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about this. Enough of this boasting about this other stuff. I'm going to boast about this. Is this good? Yes. I want to remind you of a scripture. This is a, a, you might write this in the margin there where it talks about the thorn in the flesh. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. It says, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. See, God doesn't want us to turn into a bunch of masochists who, who sit around wanting to suffer somehow to honor the Lord. That's not his goal here. And, and he says, if you, if you turn to me in the middle of your weakness, then, then I'm going to turn to you. And we're going to be yoked up together. And the picture here, when he says, my yoke, take my yoke upon you, and all that, the picture is of you carrying a load like an ox with an ox cart. And you're carrying it by yourself. But if you really think about the verse, what it's really sort of suggesting is you're carrying the load either as a, in a single yoke attached to the cart, or you're carrying it in a double yoke, but there's only you pulling one side of it. Can you imagine how hard that would be on the ox? The thing's made for two oxen, but there's only one ox pulling the cart, and the thing's going sideways against your neck all the time. And he says, take my yoke upon you, and let me come alongside of you, and let me walk you through this thing, because what I have to offer you is going to work. And so the pain that you're going through, the Lord wants to get you through it. I'm not here to preach. Sit around and be happy that you got a problem in your life and you know, but on the other hand, when there is a weakness, 
let the Lord do what he wants to do and come alongside and let his strength be manifest for you. Well, we're going to end this because it's a short chapter. I told you you're going to get out of here early tonight. and I, I almost haven't even used up the clock. There's a song that we've been singing in our church. The title of the song is Cornerstone. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hymn that was written about 150 years ago uh, called On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. And more recently, some people in Norway and some people in Australia that are involved in the Hillsong Ministries got together and they took that ancient hymn, that old hymn, it's not an ancient one, but they took that old hymn and then they added some new words to it. And why they did it is because you all heard about the shooting in Norway where the idiot went out and killed 77 people. And this affected the Hillsong Church in Oslo, Norway because they lost some people. And so in response to this terrible tragedy, they wrote this song. Uh, they modified this song that existed. And um, we're not facing some tragedy like that. But again, when I start talking about a thorn in the flesh and, 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 and a weakness, everybody here was starting to nod your heads. We all got them. And the words have application to us, I think. And it starts out, this comes from the original hymn. It says, my hope is built on nothing less. My hope is not built on Hope Chapel. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What he did on the cross is what I'm counting on. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Now, again, it was written 150 years ago. What is the sweetest frame? Well, the structure around my life. I dare not trust the sweetest, best thing around, but holy trust in Jesus' name. And then here's some of the words that, that have been recently written. Christ alone, cornerstone. You know what a cornerstone is in a building in ancient times? You're going to build a building out of, out of rock. And if you've been to Israel, a bunch of us went to Israel a couple years ago, and, and a building is built out of rock. But you want the building to be square. And so at the corners, you, you make a, a, a stone that's perfectly square. And then you lay them out so that, that you can run a string along all the way around. And you got a, a, a squared up building. And then you go with your rough hewn stone and you fill in in between. And there's usually a stone that's the main one that would be called the chief cornerstone. And Paul several times in the New Testament calls Jesus the chief cornerstone of the, of the building that God is trying to build. So it says, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. You can imagine a congregation that's reeling because some of their members were murdered in a, in a horrible way, uh, engaging this song and what it did for them. But let's come back from that and just think about what you're going through. I spent... Uh, yesterday afternoon with a friend of mine talking and he just some horrible things have happened relationally in his life and and some horrible things financially where where you know company we works for goes out of business and owes him a ton of money and then goes bankrupt and never pays and and you go you know I, I just went home reeling from the conversation praying hurting for a friend going through this terrible stuff Christ alone cornerstone Weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord. Lord of all. 
Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide his face, now here's the original song. When darkness seems to hide his face, you're going through something that's so painful that you, you almost don't know if God is even there or if he cares. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. I like that, unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, when the hurricane winds are blowing, my anchor holds within the veil. That part that says my anchor holds within the veil, that's where we got the name for our church. There's a, there's a verse in Hebrews, the sixth chapter, that says this hope we have as a hope that's steadfast and sure, uh, 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 an anchor that's anchored within the veil. What it means is behind, in the old Jewish temple, there was a veil or a curtain, and there was a place called the Holy of Holies. The Bible says that Jesus went into the Holy of Holies in heaven. So Jesus is the anchor who is our hope. And coming out of that scripture, we came up with the name Hope Chapel. My anchor holds within the veil. Who's the anchor? It's, it's not me. It's not my spirituality. It's not that I had a vision from the Lord, like Paul said. It's not that I'm more spiritual than somebody down the street. My anchor is Jesus and the grace of God that will be sufficient and find a way to get me through the crud I'm going through right now. And it says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. I, I want to live my life in a righteous way because God is everything that I need and I want to allow him to be everything that I need in my life. And my weakness makes room for his strength to be put on display in my life. Am I making sense? Where we come to that word Lord and... Um, Sometimes we think of it as just another name, but it really means sir or master. And we come to you tonight, sir, and uh, we present ourselves to you. Each one of us would say, I, I choose to live with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of my life. And Lord, we come to you tonight with our, our, our bundle of who we are, Sometimes we have great faith. Sometimes we're very weak when it comes to faith. Sometimes we do wonderful things for others. Sometimes we do really stupid things. Lord, we've all, each of us, got some great victories that you've brought in our life, and, and each of us has some sort of a thorn from Satan that wounds, continues to wound. We just want to stand before you tonight and say, Lord, we, we revel in who you are, not who we are. And we trust you, Lord, that as we join with you and you join with us and we take your yoke upon us, that you'll pull the cart and the burden and you'll get us through life and you get us through it in victory and get us through it in peace or that your grace is sufficient for us. Lord, come and be the cornerstone for our lives. We surrender, we submit to you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good night. God bless y'all.